Galatians 5:16 through 23. Living by the Spirit's power. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you wouldn't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under the obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Amen. When you woke up this morning, what was your attitude like? Was it, yeah, it's Saturday. I can't wait to get to church tonight. I love Saturdays because I get together with my church family and I praise the Lord with them. I sing songs with them. I get to hear about their weeks. I'm so excited. I'm so joyful. It's Saturday. What I tend to think of is that Geico commercial with the camel when he walks through the office and he says, what day is today? It's hump day. And at the end it says, you should be happier than a camel on hump day. We should be that happy. According to scripture, that's what it says. We should be that happy. We should be excited about Saturday, not just because we get to sleep in. But what was your attitude like this morning? Was it that joyful? Or was it more like, oh, it's Saturday. Hit the snooze button, hit the snooze button, hit the snooze button. Finally, roll out of bed. Pull out your list of things that you need to do before you go to church. Ah, the list gets longer and longer and longer. Were you rather indifferent this morning? Or dare I say grumpy? Let's look at Psalm 89, verses 15 through 16. Happy are those who hear the joyful call to worship, for they will walk in the light of your presence, Lord. They rejoice all day long in your wonderful reputation. They exult in your righteousness. How many of you came into church that way this evening? Now, I saw most of you walk in. You can't fool us. 
How many of you approach every day that way? Joy-filled. Walking in the light of the Lord's presence. Rejoicing all day long. Not me. And I don't think any of you either. Christians should be the most joyful people on earth. The world should be able to see a difference between us and the rest of the world. And that difference is a result of the fruit of the Spirit revealing itself in us and through us. Last week, we continued our series in Galatians by beginning a study on the fruit of the Spirit. We notice first that they are collectively known as the fruit, not the fruits. This means that you can't just have one. You need to have them all. If you are surrendered and committed to letting Jesus lead your life, all of the fruit will be evident, not just the ones that come easy for your personality. And if these characteristics were dependent upon our personalities, Scripture would call them the fruit of the saints, not the fruit of the Spirit. This matters because as we saw last week with the fruit of patience, if we're left up to our own efforts, we're going to fall short every time. The characteristics known as the fruit of the Spirit are a result of the Spirit living in us. We don't produce them ourselves. God does. That's why they're the fruit of the Spirit. They're not about self-discipline. You can't get them by giving stuff up. The fruit of the Spirit are God's character traits pouring into us and out of us unto others. The fruit of the Spirit is dependent on our connection with Jesus. That's why Jesus told the disciples that they needed to abide in him. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do Nothing. Only a life centered on Jesus will grow and display the fruit of the Spirit in their everyday lives. And this week, we're going to look at another challenging character trait. That if it was just dependent upon our power, we would fall short. We'd get discouraged. We'd get frustrated. And end up moping around like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. Oh, it's just another day. Uh, what's on my list today? Honestly, some of us approach days like, I know I do. I get up some mornings. I don't have that joy. I wake up like Eeyore. Oh, I, uh, oh my list. Oh, Lord, isn't there anything else we can do today? Because I don't like my list. 
you got to be honest with yourself. Some of you do the same thing. You know, we can try, we say, oh, I'm going to have a good day today. I'm going to have a good day today. And what are you doing? You're doing it in your own power. You got to wake up and say, you know what, God? What do you have planned for my day today? Let's do this together, Lord. I want to walk following you. And let him guide the way. What is it about joy, though? That seems to be out of our grasp all the time. Why do we have such a hard time grabbing hold of it? Could it be that we're always striving for happy instead of joy? Because happiness, that's easier than joy. Happiness is defined as pleasure. It's defined as contentment or good fortune. Happiness is an emotion that's based on our circumstances. It's our favorite food. It's a new car. It's our favorite movie. It's our favorite song coming on the radio. It's a good parking spot at the mall. All temporary things. That's happy. Happiness is outside of us. It's based on chance. It's based on things that we believe we can control. And most often, happiness is a result of material things and prosperity. And when we aren't happy, it's a lot easier to blame somebody else. They treated me poorly. The traffic was terrible. My boss was a jerk. The kids are driving me crazy. Almost as if we earn the right to be unhappy. We look for ways to justify our grumpiness when we're chasing happy. Happiness is a cause and effect experience. We can see it. We can feel it. We know where it comes from because we strive for ways to create it in our lives. For example, if Publishers Clearinghouse came knocking on your door tomorrow, (laughs) and they delivered you a brand new car, wow, you'd be pretty happy, wouldn't you? But then a few days go by, you go out to your driveway, and the car is gone. It's been stolen. Now, you're not so happy anymore, are you? Happiness is fleeting. Happiness is unstable. Happiness is insecure. One of our greatest fears is losing the things that make us happy. Because we like to be happy. But joy, joy is different. Joy is defined as an attitude of the heart. An attitude of the heart that's bigger than ourselves. That's bigger than our circumstances. Happiness tends to just happen. But joy, joy is a choice. The amount of joy that you experience in any given day 
is the exact amount that you choose to experience on any given day. So if you strive for happiness and you don't get it, you just blame your circumstances. But if you strive for joy and you don't have it, you can only blame yourself. See, God created us to have a joyful life. When you accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, you were given the gift of joy, just like it says, the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We're wired for joy. But we need a source to let that joy flow. Think of a light bulb. A light bulb has everything it needs to provide light, but only if it's connected to a power source. You and I have the joy of the Spirit in us, but we have to connect to the power source to let it flow. That power source is Jesus. If you're not abiding in Jesus, you're not going to have the joy. David wrote in the Psalms, he knew God was the source, source of his joy. There I will go to the altar of God, to God the source of all my joy. God is the source of our joy, but too often we're ignoring it to chase what makes us happy. We want to feel good immediately, in the moment. Remember last week's message on patience. We don't like to wait. We want to feel good now. So we pursue the instant gratification. Those things that make us feel good. The things that make us happy. Those are the very things that cause us to forget about or even drown out the joy that's in us. Think of it this way. When you were a kid... Did your parents ever tell you, no sweets before dinner? I know my mom did. I'd get real hungry right before dinner, and I'd want to, I don't know, carb charge, take some candy, something. Please, mom, please, mom, I'm so hungry, I'm starving, let me eat. No, no, why did they say that? Because you're going to ruin your appetite. The trouble with eating sweets and snacks before dinner was that you end up with this sugar buzz. And it made you feel good. It made you feel so full. You didn't think you needed to eat anymore. The sweets hid the fact that your body was really needing a healthy option, something with some protein and vitamins. It covered up the hunger that was inside of you for the food of substance that your body really need. In a similar way, when we chase after the temporal things of this world, when we're chasing after power, when we're chasing after money, success, possessions, the things that make us happy, those things act like a sugar substitute for our soul. We become comfortable, and we don't realize what our souls are really hungering for. 
when we chase after the sweet moments instead of the real nutrients that our souls need, we end up discouraged. We end up desperate. We end up feeling in despair. The moment that our circumstances change, we crash. As long as we pursue pleasure of temporary happiness, we cannot receive the fruit of joy that wants to grow in us from God. It's like eating sweets before dinner. You will not grow. That's why joy is never tied to our circumstances. It has nothing to do with our money. Joy has nothing to do with our health. It has nothing to do with our prosperity. Those things can't even touch joy because joy comes from our Father. And that's important because you may lose your money. You may lose your health. You may lose material things. But you're not going to lose your joy. Because your joy belongs to him. It's his joy that lives in us, and he doesn't change. So if you were to look over your life, knowing the difference between happiness and joy, what is driving you? Pursuit of happy or the pursuit of joy? Oftentimes, we equate our lives like roller coasters. Highs and lows, ups and downs, twists and turns. Because they reflect this chaotic movement between the happy times and the sad times. But the joy-filled life, that's more steady. It's more stable, like a set of railroad tracks. Where sorrow and joy are always running side by side. So that even in our greatest joy, there's a feeling that something maybe isn't quite right. But even in our deepest sorrow, we're still able to catch glimpses of the goodness of God. Love, kindness, the beauty that he creates around us. The key is learning to live with one foot on each track. It's a matter of perspective. We can choose to complain that rose bushes have thorns or we can rejoice because thorn bushes have roses. We need God's perspective. God's word will help us gain that right perspective. See, a study of scripture would give us this definition of joy. Joy is a settled conviction about God knowing he's in control. It's a confidence in God that everything will be all right because he's in control. And it's a determined choice to praise God in all things. Now let's pick apart that definition. A settled conviction about God. We know that God is love, and God is joy. 
So if we look at Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, it says, For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. You know that our Heavenly Father dances and sings over you. The Creator, the Ruler of the universe, the One who is all-powerful, perfect, and completely holy, sings and dances over you and you and you. Wow. That, that piece alone, I could stop preaching here, that piece alone should bring you joy. But let's keep going. Let's look at the second part of our definition. A confidence in God that everything will be all right. Hebrews 12, verses 2 and 3. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith, who because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. Do you know what the joy before Jesus was? The joy set before Jesus was the reconciliation of man to God. You and I, we were the joy that nailed Jesus to the cross, that kept him there. You are Jesus' joy. Wow. In light of those verses, honestly, my one hour of of church service a week seems pretty lame. Even more so when I skip it because, oh, I want to go do something else. In Luke chapter 10, the disciples have just returned and they're excited to share with Jesus that the demons obey when they use his name. But look what Jesus says to them in verse 20. Don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. Jesus is saying, rejoice in what God has done for you. Yes, what you did was great. But what God's saving power did for you is even better. Rejoice in that. Remember the true source of your joy. That's what keeps us going. My husband and I have been to Haiti several times. And one of the things that is always striking in Haiti is the joy of the people. Incredible. They have nothing, but they have Jesus. And that is what they rejoice in. And on one of our trips, you know, usually it's very hot. It is really hot in Haiti. (laughs) And one of these particular trips, right outside the hospital, there was a a tree that was being cut down. 
And there were a couple men that were out there. And for this whole week, for three days straight, these men were out there with just a hand axe, chopping and chopping and chopping, day in, day out, 100 degrees out, and they're just standing there hacking away. And they were singing, and they were, I didn't understand Creole, but they would sing all day long. And then one day I, I went to our interpreter and I said, what, what are they singing about? What are they singing? And he said to me, he said, they're singing about heaven. And it struck me. They have a joy that I can't even touch right now. They're working their butts off in 100-degree weather, chopping down a tree that in America would take 30 seconds with a chainsaw. And what are they doing? They're singing about the joy of the Lord. They're singing about heaven. Wow. That is joy. Only comes from him. We don't produce it. He lets it flow through us. This brings us to the third part of our definition of joy. A determined choice to praise God in all things. Those Haitian men, they were choosing praise. They were choosing joy. Several months ago, we did a study on Habakkuk. But in chapter 3, there are some key verses there. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die and the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. See, Habakkuk didn't ignore the fact that he had some tough times. He didn't deny the hardship or the sorrow. He acknowledged the trials. Yet, he rejoiced in the Lord. He chose joy despite his circumstances. Had he been searching for happy, he would have been devastated. No, He was letting the joy come in and flow back out. Even though our circumstances change, God never does. It's not just a matter of positive thinking. Oh, I'm going to just think positive today. That's not going to do it. It's not a don't worry, be happy kind of attitude either. It doesn't come from us. It comes from him. It's choosing to rejoice in God because he is bigger than any problem we're going to ever face. See, joy is not an escape from sorrow. It doesn't give us a challenge-free or a trial-free life. Joy gives us hope. Joy gives us a purpose. Joy keeps us looking ahead to better days. But the choice to rejoice is yours and is mine each and every day. With every breath. Some days are hard. 
Sometimes we have to choose it every hour. Every minute. Why joy? Why choose it? Happiness is much more immediate. I'm going to feel better. Right? Nehemiah 8.10 says, Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Happy is not going to get you through the cancer. Happy is not going to get you through the loss of a loved one. Only joy will. Joy gives us the strength to face those trials. See, we think that Satan is after our marriages. We think that Satan is after our health. He's not. He's after your joy. He simply wants to steal your joy. Because if he can get you to focus on the hardships, and if he can get you to focus on the troubles in your marriage, and in your job, and in your health, then he can steal that joy. And when he steals that joy, he knows that you're an ineffective and weak Christian. And you lose the power of God without that joy. But when we rejoice, when we praise God in every circumstance, Satan's power is weakened. Satan's hold on us is weakened. Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas have just been stripped. They've been beaten. They've been flogged and thrown into prison. And what did they do? They cast a demon out of a slave girl. And they preached the good news. It says, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Did you notice what it said in verse 25? As they were praying and singing, the other prisoners were listening. The people around you are listening. And they're watching. When we spend our time behaving and responding like the rest of the world, people don't notice. They'll just call you a hypocrite. But when you start praising and singing to God, when you start overflowing with joy in the darkest of situations, people want to know more. Like the prison guard, what must I do to be saved? See, the goal of our lives is to bring glory to God. But we can't do it if we're whining and complaining about everything. We need to choose joy. We need to look up into the face of God. We'll be so consumed by his presence. 
We're not going to have time to complain. Misery may love company, but joy, joy is contagious. And there's a whole world out there beyond these walls that needs joy. Choose joy, choose to praise. We need to learn to live life balanced with one foot on each train track. Joy and sorrow. As we walk with Jesus, connect with Jesus. It's the only way to get the joy. The fruit of the joy, the fruit of joy will pour out of you when you have a settled conviction about God. When you know that he's in control and that whatever place you find yourself is only what he can make right. We choose joy when we have our confidence in God. When we know that everything is under his sovereignty, everything he will make right. This is not our home. This is temporary. Heaven is our destination. Salvation and heaven, that's the joy before us. Willingly choose to praise God, even in the most desperate of circumstances, as people are watching. This week, uh, on Tuesday, I had um, met someone at a Starbucks. We were having coffee together. And, and as we were finishing up, and I said, let's pray together. And so she said, okay, okay, we'll pray. So we prayed at the table outside the patio of Starbucks. And as we finished, a gentleman, he came outside. He had been sitting inside, I guess. And, and he came up. He said, excuse me. He said, I just noticed that you two ladies were praying. I said, yeah. He said, I just want to thank you. He said, I saw you from inside. He said, but I had to come out and thank you for praying in this public place. He said, thank you for praying. He said, you just put a smile on my face because I saw two people praying in public. People are watching. People are listening. Who would have thought that a simple prayer after a coffee date would have gotten such a reaction? But it had to have riled him up enough. He got up out of his place inside to come out to us. Wow, amen, all the glory to him. When was the last time you experienced joy? When can you say Oh, that was a joyful moment. That same day, I had gone to run an errand. And when I had come out of the store, there's a young woman who, was, who had come up to me, and she said, I'm so sorry. She said, could you, could you help me? And I said, sure, sure. I said, what's your name? And so we talked for a little bit, and, and I gave her what I had. And she just, she started crying. And I'll tell you, she grabbed hold of me 
She grabbed me so tight, and she just sobbed in my arms. And she said, I can't, I can't thank you enough. I can't thank you enough. She goes, most people will just yell at me. Most people just don't look at me. Most people, she goes, but you, you helped me. That was a joyful moment because the glory belonged to him. I was trying to look outside my own bubble, my own little world of trouble, to see someone else that was out there that needed joy. And I hope in, in that little moment of her, she experienced some of that joy from him. But honestly, I think I got more joy than she did because God invited me in to his work in that moment. But you can't get to that if you're not connected to him. We have to be open to hear him. We have to be open. Lord, here I am. Use me. You want the fruit of the Spirit? That's how you get it. We need to stop trying to be happy people. We need to connect with Jesus. We need to abide in him. And then the fruit of the Spirit, that is joy, will flow through us and light the world around us. Having a life of joy means choosing to allow the Holy Spirit to transform you from the inside out. It's about revealing the life of Christ in you to others. Because joy is a mark of God's power in the world. But we have to stay connected to him. Heavenly Father, Oh, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for joy. Lord, open our eyes to see where we're chasing happy so we can back up and stop eating the sweets before dinner. Lord, we want the real thing. Lord, we want joy. Lord, open our eyes to see where you are at work in our lives. May we be bold and courageous, Father, as we leave this place to share your message. Maybe not even through words, Father, but through love, acts of love, acts of grace, acts of mercy, Father. Lord, thank you. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen.